Well, hello again, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo, and I'm so excited to be here with you today for episode 195, where we're talking about RSV. Now, before we dive into that topic, I do want to take a quick moment for the San Fam shout out. And this one goes to Natalie, who uses our planners and has this to say. This is the second time ordering this planner for nursing school, and I'm just as obsessed with it as the first time. I struggle with organization, and this planner is so intuitive and has made me feel like a well-organized person. I love this planner. Natalie, thank you so much. I'm just happy that I was able to help you with the tool that makes you feel organized and on top of things. Nursing school's really busy. There's a lot to keep track of. And this is essentially the planner I wish I'd had when I was in nursing school. And because nurses see problems and fix them, I saw the problem and I fixed it. I made y'all a planner. So if you want to check that out and get the planner that Natalie did, I will link to that in the episode notes. So today we are looking at RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, and this is a single-stranded RNA virus that is transmitted by respiratory droplets. It is highly transmissible, and individuals can become infected if droplets land in their eyes, nose, or mouth, or even just by touching an infected surface and then touching their face, eyes, nose, mouth, etc. And of course, through direct contact, such as kissing an infected individual. So it's very common in the pediatric population, but it can affect people at any age. So let's talk a little bit about the pathophysiology of RSV. So RSV targets ciliated epithelial cells of the respiratory tract, and this causes acute respiratory illness with symptoms that more or less resemble the common cold. Now, just because it resembles symptoms of the common cold does not mean that it should be taken lightly. Illness with RSV can be quite severe and have lasting effects, especially when young children or neonates are affected. Now, studies show that 90% of children are infected with RSV during their first two years of life. So it's very common and in a lot of cases does not cause severe illness, but it can in some. And again, it can affect older children and adults as well. Now, the virus triggers an inflammatory response that causes, one, obstruction of the small airway with mucus and cellular debris, two, airway edema, three, decreased lung compliance, and four, decreased mucus clearance. So if alarm bells are going off in your head and you're thinking airway patency, airway patency, airway patency, thank you, thank you, thank you, you're thinking like a nurse. Anytime you have issues involving the airway, they are going to be massively compounded in young children. 
and this is due to anatomical differences in the airway. Namely, the airway is much smaller in diameter, and it's also shorter. So smaller in diameter means edema, secretions, anything like that's going to cause airway obstruction, airway closure, airway issues very easily. And then the shortness of the airway means pathogens can more easily get into the deeper areas of the respiratory tract. And this is why RSV often causes bronchiolitis in children. And bronchiolitis is an infection of that lower respiratory tract that can also lead to small airway obstruction. So RSV can also cause asthma or COPD exacerbations and secondary infections such as bronchitis or pneumonia. And since the body does not create long-term immunity to RSV, reinfections are possible and can be frequent. So let's dive in to RSV using the straight A nursing latte method. So if you're new to the latte method, I've linked in the episode notes for a free template that you can download and take notes on for this and any other disease condition that you learn. It's a fantastic framework for organizing the most important information that you need to know for nursing school and on the job. Okay, let's start with L. How does the patient look? What are their signs and symptoms? What do you notice about them? So RSV usually causes an upper respiratory illness with a wide range of symptoms such as headache, fever, muscle ache, cough and sore throat, runny nose, congestion, and sneezing. Patient may have conjunctivitis, an ear infection, vomiting, diarrhea, and loss of appetite. Now, in children under two years of age or high-risk individuals, RSV may cause a lower respiratory tract infection, and that can lead to severe complications such as viral pneumonia and acute respiratory failure. So an infection of that lower respiratory tract could also include, in addition to the other symptoms that I just talked about, you could have ronchi, wheezing, crackles, even diminished breath sounds. The patient could have tachypnea and increased work of breathing, so you would see that accessory muscle use, could even have periods of apnea. And then your very, very young patients, namely your infants, may show signs of irritability, decreased activity levels, and may show obvious signs of having difficulty breathing. Now, when RSV is severe, infants can have cyanosis around the mouth, the lip, or the fingernails, as well as other very ominous respiratory signs such as nasal flaring, tachypnea, shallow breathing, always, always, always take respiratory distress in children very, very seriously and be amped up to act incredibly quickly. If you want to read more about why pediatric distress in children is such a big deal, I will link to that in the episode notes. So the A in latte stands for assess. How are we going to assess this patient? 
So your key assessments with RSV are really going to be related mainly to the patient's respiratory status. We want to measure oxygen saturation level, and we can do that via pulse oximetry or arterial blood gas. We want to assess for signs of hypoxia like restlessness, confusion, cyanosis. We'll auscultate the patient's lung sounds, listening for wheezes, crackles, strider, ronchi, anything abnormal. We definitely are assessing respiratory rate, respiratory depth, the pattern, and the work of breathing, nasal flaring, intercostal or substernal reactions, and grunting are incredibly ominous signs in children and must be addressed immediately. Assess the patient's cough. This includes the cough characteristics like is it dry, is it wet, is it productive or non-productive, weak, etc. If the patient is producing sputum, you'll want to assess that as well. You're looking at quantity, color, odor, and consistency. You'll also be doing some general assessments, and these can include urine output, definitely monitoring urine output. This can decrease significantly in severe infection or sepsis. For infants, this typically involves weighing wet diapers. And at home, parents can count the number of wet diapers. Of course, if your patient has an indwelling catheter or is an older person who's able to urinate in the hat or in a urinal where you can measure it, you'll be measuring it in that way. Since RSV often causes a lack of appetite, you want to assess for decreased nutritional intake. And with that, look for signs of dehydration, especially if the individual is also vomiting and has diarrhea. With that decreased oral intake, dehydration can occur quickly, especially in infants. Signs of dehydration include poor skin turgor, hypotension with tachycardia, and in infants, you would see the sunken fontanelles and decreased tear production. Of course, you'll monitor the patient's temperature to assess for fever, observe the patient for outward signs of infection like enlarged lymph nodes or purulent discharge from the eyes or the nose. You would also want to assess for any pain related to respiratory inflammation and coughing. So the first T in LATTE stands for tests. What tests are going to be ordered for this patient? In healthy infants and children, lab tests for RSV may not always be done simply because the result wouldn't typically change the course of treatment. However, in immunocompromised patients or in situations where the clinician really does need to identify that specific virus in order to plan care, then antigen, PCR, or viral culture testing could be conducted. So rapid antigen detection test is the RADT, is a fast and highly sensitive and specific test in children. But Downside is it can have false negatives in adults. Additionally, if someone's taking antibody therapy, that's going to alter the results of the RADT, so they would not be able to use this test in those people. Then we have the PCR test, and this is the preferred method due to being highly sensitive, and it can also be used in patients who have already received RSV antibody therapy. 
Now, a viral culture was the other one I mentioned. This looks at a sample of respiratory secretions to identify the virus. These tests, however, are slower to result and can take from four days to two weeks. A chest x-ray may be utilized in cases of RSV-induced bronchiolitis, and a CT scan may be conducted to diagnose respiratory complications such as pneumonia or bronchiolitis. The next letter in LATTE is another T, and that stands for treatments. So what treatments are provided for someone with RSV? So most of the time, RSV can be treated at home with supportive care unless the patient has respiratory distress or needs oxygen. So this home supportive care includes nasal suctioning as needed and maybe some nasal saline drops for lubrication, hydration, rest, and medications for fever and pain such as acetaminophen. Note that children under 16 should not take aspirin due to the risk for developing RISE syndrome. Now, I did see some sources that say children under 12, but in most cases, I saw children under 16. If your school tells you something different and it's going to be on a test, go with whatever your school is telling you. Other medications used to treat RSV are antivirals and antibiotics. Yes, RSV is a virus, but we'll talk about why we might use antibiotics in a moment. And then monoclonal antibodies are used to prevent disease in high-risk individuals. So let's first look at the antivirals. So ribavirin can be administered orally or as a nebulized medication. This is a very high-risk medication and should be avoided in individuals who are pregnant or who even have a pregnant partner. Additionally, pregnancy should be avoided for at least six months after taking ribavirin. Now, the nebulized form can cause bronchoconstriction, so it's used very cautiously in patients who have COPD or asthma. And then some other adverse effects of ribavirin include depression, and that can be severe, hemolytic anemia, blurred vision, photosensitivity, and pruritus. Now, here's what's interesting about ribavirin in addition to the pregnancy thing is that all patients taking it should be monitored for suicidal and homicidal ideation. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends only using ribavirin in severe cases due to the high risk of toxicity to healthcare providers. So this medication is no joke. Okay, and then I mentioned antibiotics. Why would we use an antibiotic for a virus? Well, antibiotics may be used if there is a bacterial infection also present, such as bacterial pneumonia or otitis media. Antibiotics are never used to treat the RSV itself because RSV is a viral illness but these bacterial infections can occur co-committantly with RSV. Monoclonal antibodies may be used in those who are at high risk as a way to prevent infection. You may see this referred to as passive immune prophylaxis. Palivizumab is a monoclonal antibody that reduces the ability of the virus to fuse 
with cell membranes, thereby preventing disease. It is administered monthly during RSV season, and that season can vary slightly, but in the U.S., it's typically fall, winter, and spring. Recommendations vary based on risk factor, but in general, those who are at highest risk for RSV are children less than 12 months of age who have prematurity of 29 weeks gestation or less, children and infants with chronic lung issues related to prematurity, such as bronchopulmonary dysplasia, children with neuromuscular disorders, and children with congenital heart defects. Some general nursing interventions for RSV include providing oxygen as ordered to maintain adequate oxygen levels. In severe cases, CPAP or mechanical ventilation may be necessary. Humidified oxygen is generally provided to avoid drying out secretions, and it's just all around more comfortable. You want to maintain a patent airway and suction as needed. Infants should have nasal secretions removed before feeding and before sleeping. Older children and adults could have head of bed elevated to help maintain airway patency. You will encourage PO fluids and consider administering fluids via IV or NG tube if the patient is unable to consume them on their own. Popsicles are a fantastic way to get children to take in fluid and is really comforting, especially if they have a fever. Supplements such as Pedialyte may be used also to replace electrolytes as well as fluids. You will initiate droplet precautions with a private room. If the patient must share a room and your facility allows it, then that other patient must also have RSV. So the E in LATTE stands for educate. How are we going to educate the patient or in a lot of cases, since it's usually we're dealing with kids, the family? So much of your teaching about RSV will be focused on prevention and limiting the spread of disease. So key teaching is the importance of basic hygiene, especially for parents of young or premature children. This includes hand hygiene, avoid touching the face, covering coughs and sneezes, and disinfecting high-use surfaces. Sick individuals should not share utensils, towels, cups, any other personal item with anyone else. You will teach the importance of staying home when sick and avoiding contact with infants and compromised adults if possible. You will teach patients or parents that RSV usually occurs during the fall, winter, and spring in the northern hemisphere, but in tropical climates, RSV is usually aligned with the rainy season. Other key teachings include teaching the parents how to use that bulb syringe to suction the nares before feeding and at bedtime, instructing the parents to avoid using cough suppressant medications as coughing is an effective way to remove secretions from the lungs and airway. You want to ensure that individuals understand the limits on acetaminophen dosing and to avoid aspirin use in children. You will teach the parents to seek emergency care if the child has difficulty breathing or is cyanotic and teach the parents to call the MD if the child shows signs of ear infection, has a high respiratory rate, which 
the respiratory rate will vary based on child age, fever over 101 degrees, persistent cough for more than a couple of days, wheezing, listlessness, or confusion. So there you have it, your brief overview of RSV. How about we do a few pod quiz questions, and then if you like pod quizzing, you're going to click on the link below in the episode notes to learn about Study Sesh, my other podcast. So for pod quizzing, I ask you a question, pause to give you time to answer, and then tell you the answer. So your first question is, how is RSV transmitted? Via respiratory droplets. Very, very good. And what cells does the RSV target? Ciliated epithelial cells of the respiratory tract. Very, very good. Tell me two reasons why the airway is different in children versus adults. It is smaller in diameter and shorter. Very good. RSV can cause exacerbation of these two chronic lung conditions. Asthma and COPD. What are two signs of dehydration in an infant? Sunken fontanelles and decreased tear production. What is the preferred method of testing for RSV? PCR. What is the antiviral medication that can be administered orally or nebulized? Ribavirin. What type of therapy is used for those who are at high risk to prevent infection. Monoclonal antibodies. And when is RSV season in the Northern Hemisphere? Fall, winter, and spring. Okay, very good. So if you liked pod quizzing, and you dig it, and that is your jam, then I want you to click on the link in the episode notes for Study Sesh, my other podcast that is almost entirely pod quizzes, but also some other highly effective and dynamic formats for auditory learning. So I will see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 